That song is not about the Christian life. That song is the Christian life. Um, that's really what the Christian life is. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Well, looking forward to looking at this last couple verses of this sentence that we started a few weeks back. Remember verse 3 through verse 14 is uh, uh, one complete sentence in the Greek text. And so if you're just tuning in, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14 tonight. But as we've done all through this, I want to start by reading verse 3. So wherever you are, if you're able, if you will stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word as we read this sentence together again. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According hath he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure which he's purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, and whom also we have attained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Now verse 13. And whom ye also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Father, I just pray You'd speak to us afresh and anew tonight. Glorify Yourself in what You do and how You do it. And Father, we'll give You the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd be seated. I, I want to look tonight at this, this truth and what I called sealed and secure. Sealed and secure. There's words used here in verse 13 and verse 14 that help us unlock the truth of this passage. Now, we've looked at the integral part of God the Father and how He planned our salvation, our adoption, our redemption. And then we saw Christ Jesus, who is our redemption, who is our spiritual blessings, and who is all we need. Now we're going to come to verse 13 and 14, and we're going to find that not only is Christ and the Father dealt with in this, in this sentence, but now we're going to find out the Holy Spirit is now going to play an integral part in these truths. 
And so when we look at these two verses, you see words like seal, and you see words like earnest, and you see words like inheritance. And what you find in those words are words that speak of a covenant relationship or a relationship that is in a legal standing. So in other words, what we're saying here is God redeemed us, God saved us through Christ, and when God saved us, we entered into a covenant relationship with Him. It's called the New Covenant. Now you have to understand, you have the Abrahamic Covenant, the Divinic Covenant, but we are under the New Covenant. And God always enters into covenant with His people. Now, the amazing thing is, the covenant of God is based upon Him and not man. But at the same time, we've entered into this covenant relationship with Him. And we're going to get into what these words mean in a minute. But this gives us an idea of the heartbeat of these two verses. Now, I want to begin in verse 13, and I want us to look at the prompting of the saint. So how did we enter into this covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus? Well, can I tell you? We entered into it through salvation by the gospel. If you look at verse uh, 13 in the beginning, it says, in whom. Now, isn't it amazing? We've seen that phrase, in whom, a few times. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption. Verse 11, in whom we've obtained of an inheritance. But can I tell you, in whom we have trusted. And so what it speaks of is the truth of salvation's covenant. So it says, in whom you also trusted after you heard. And so the truth of this salvation's covenant is this. The truth about who you are and the truth about who he is. So in other words, when you heard, when you came under the truth of the word, God showed you who you were and he showed you who he was. And that truth is the basis through which you and I enter into this covenant relationship. Listen, it's not good enough just to know who he is. You have to know who you are. God has to bring you to a place through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he shows you who you are because, listen, when you see him, the first thing you're going to see is yourself. And you always see yourself in light of what you see of him. So when you see him, you see him as a crucified Passover lamb. But you see him as a resurrected Lord and Savior. Why was he crucified? Because you have to see who you were. He crucified because it was your sin and my sin he had to pay. And so to see him, you see yourself. But can I tell you, the whole truth of the gospel hinges on one word. And you say, what is that word? The word is Jesus. And that is the word, the truth, in which salvation's covenant must come. The Bible says in Matthew 1, the angel spoke to Joseph about the birth of the Lord. And he said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. We also find out in Acts chapter 4, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none, no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The truth of this salvation's covenant is Jesus and Jesus alone. So you see Jesus, you see yourself. You see yourself, oh, you see Jesus now in a whole new light. Because listen, once you see yourself, I'm telling you, you're going to see him in a way you've never seen him before. 
And this is the truth of salvation's covenant. But I want you to look secondly at the terms of salvation's covenant. Notice what it says here. In whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Notice the personal aspect. It doesn't say the gospel of salvation. It says the gospel of your salvation. So in other words, whenever you enter into a covenant, or whether, wherever you have a contract, can I tell you something? There is terms to that agreement. You see, we, have, we live in a day today where we're trying to set the terms of how we come to salvation in Christ. And so we've invented all these different things to make it easy for man to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. We've come up with all these formulas. We've come up with all these little cliches and these sayings. But can I tell you today, the terms of the contract, the terms of the salvation covenant is not set by man. It's set by God. And God's already signed, sealed, and delivered. And I want to tell you something. Jesus signed the contract when he died on the cross. His name is already on it. And you and I must understand that we must come by the way of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And the way of the gospel through Jesus Christ means that we're going to come in faith. It means we're going to come in repentance. It means that we're going to come in such a way where we're ever going to be changed. We'll never be the same again because Jesus changes those he saves. The Bible says it very clear. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is death. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to repentance, and few follow it. Wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many follow it. Listen, folks, you don't have to make the gospel easier. The gospel has already been set in stone. It's already settled in the Word of God. And God has already set the terms of this covenant relationship. And you and I cannot tweak it. You and I cannot make it more palatable. You and I cannot dress it up to make it more palatable to this world around us or try to change it based upon the culture around us. God's already set the terms. And I got news for you. I'm not God and I'm not going to change His terms. I want you to listen to this statement. I wrote this down right before the service started. We come on His terms, at His time, in His way, for His glory. And that's the only way we come. I don't choose when I come to Him, He chooses. I don't choose how I come to Him, He's already chose. And folks, listen, you and I need to understand there is a way in which God has us to come. And it's called the gospel. And so we see the truth of salvation's covenant. We see the terms of salvation's covenant. But I want you to look at what makes this covenant effective. The trust in salvation's covenant. Notice what it says here in verse 13. It says, In whom you also trusted, being the person, after you heard the word of truth about yourself, about him, the gospel of your salvation... There's the terms, in whom also that you believed you were sealed. 
So what brought the sealing of the Holy Ghost? Well, can I tell you? The moment you believe. Now, here's the problem. We use this term believed in such a generic way, and we, we leave people to believe that it's just, well, if I acknowledge that Jesus is and Jesus did, then I believe. Well, can I tell you the word here does not mean a head knowledge at all. The word here is a word that is used in this aspect, a trust that is abandoned unto another. And so the idea here is a faith that literally comes to the place that I abandon myself unto Him as a person, not for what He can do for me, but for who He is. Because I see myself for who I am. Then I see Him for who He is. And I say, wait a minute, I can't save myself. And so I abandon myself by faith to who He is. And can I tell you something? That's true Bible salvation. This is what initiates this salvation's covenant. God enables me by faith. I respond to Him by faith and abandonment unto Him. And at that moment, notice what it says, at that moment you're sealed. So when God sealed me, the second He saved me. When God sealed you, the second He saved you. And this, is the trust in salvation's covenant. Well, I want you to look secondly at the promise of the Spirit. Not only the prompting of the saint that brings us into this covenant, but the promise of the Spirit that seals this covenant. Because here's something about a covenant. A covenant is only good when it's been notarized, when it's been sealed. I can sign a covenant, you can sign a covenant, but what makes that covenant a legal binding covenant is that seal that's placed on that covenant by that notary. That's what makes it a legal binding covenant. And so can I tell you today that you and I were sealed God notarized you and I when he saved you. You say, how did he notarize you and I? Well, he sealed you. With what? The spirit of a living God. And this is the promise of the spirit. Boy, isn't that a glorious word, sealed? I mean, what a glorious word. Can I tell you what it suggests? A finished transaction. Something that has absolute assurance. Me and my wife took advantage of the lower interest rates that were going on. And we refinanced our house. And when we refinanced our house, we had to go through all the closing like you would normally do. And we went through the closing. We went to the lawyer's office. We signed not one, not two, but probably about a kajillion pieces of paper. But can I tell you really and truly, all those signatures that we put on that paper... The only thing that made that contract legal was when he stamped that last page. That's what made it legal. And here's what happened. He said to us, after that last page that we signed, he said, well, folks, we're done. It's finished. 
Can I tell you today, the moment God saved you, here's what he done. He stamped you with the Holy Spirit of promise. He indwelt you with the Holy Spirit of promise. And at that moment, your salvation was secure. Your salvation was safe. Your salvation is now something that cannot be altered anymore. It's a glorious word. So what does this word seal speak of? Not long ago, we were in Roman Revelation chapter 7 on Wednesday nights, and we were dealing with the sealing of the 144,000, and I touched on a few of these things, but I went back and restudied this out, and the Lord showed me some stuff that I'd not seen before about the importance of this word seal. I want to walk through these things with you here of what this word seal means. When it says that you were sealed, with the Holy Spirit of promise. The first thing it speaks of is the proving of the seal. You say, what do you mean the proving of the seal? Well, can I tell you, the seal is what authenticates a covenant or a contract. And so here's the truth of the matter. If you remember in the Old Testament, Israel, starting with Abraham, God made a, a condition upon which Israel or the men of Israel could enter into and be identified with the people of Israel. And you say, what was that condition? Well, it was a seal. You say, what was the seal? It was called circumcision. And the circumcision of a young boy at the age of 13 is what entered them into that covenant relationship as being one of God's chosen people in the nation of Israel. It marked him as being God's. And so, the Bible says we're sealed. But here's the glorious thing. We're not sealed in an external way like a circumcision. We're sealed in an internal way. You say, how? Because our seal is not something in which God stamps. Our seal is a person God gives. And you say, what do you mean? It is the Holy Spirit that is the seal. He indwells you. And when He indwells you, He authenticates you. Authenticates me to who? He authenticates me to the world. You say, why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is going to ooze out of me if He lives in me. Hey, I want to tell you something. You put life in a body, that life's going to manifest itself. How in the world can somebody say they're saved and the fruit and the truth and the manifestation of the Spirit of God not be evident in their life? The Spirit of God authenticates authenticates me to be really his. It is the Spirit that is the seal. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You see, to be sealed with the Holy Spirit, the moment God saved you, the moment you gave up, through faith and repentance. That very moment, God took the Spirit of God, placed it in you, and right there, God marks you as being a finished work for His glory. You're sealed. And it proves who you are. You know, it's amazing. The fruit of the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, will have his will and his way in our life. Now, can we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit? We can. But folks, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. What authenticates us is the presence 
of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says it this way, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. So how do I know? Oh, listen, His Spirit communes with my human spirit and a peace that passes all understanding floods my heart. And then on top of that, His Spirit lives through me, the life of Christ through me, and all of a sudden the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, all those fruits of the Spirit began to manifest themselves through me. And listen, the world knows. I know. But here's the most important thing. God knows. God knows. You see, it's the proving of the seal. The second thing that this seal does is the protection of the seal. You say, what do you mean the protection of the seal? So what's the debate today? The debate is concerning if someone's been saved, will they always be saved? Well, can I tell you today, the seal absolutely answers that question for us. Because here's the truth. Wherein does our security lie? Does it lie in what I do or does it lie in what he, who he is? In other words, if my security lies in what I do, then if I do something that can take me out of Christ, that means that I somehow can go up there and undo the covenant that God placed upon me when he saved me. Now, I'm not very smart. But I got news for you. If you think you can undo what God did, you are greatly deceived. Greatly deceived. So here's the reality of it all. The Holy Spirit is in the earth as God's deposit or guarantee until Jesus Christ comes back for his bride. You see, it says in verse 14, he is the earnest. The term is the term we use when you buy a house. It's called earnest money. Brother Donald's here. He sells uh, about uh, uh, a bunch of cabins every year. And, uh, and as he sells those cabins, I guarantee you, he never walks up to somebody that says they're going to buy a cabin and says, all you got to do is sign this piece of paper. I don't need any money up front. Why do they give money up front? It's a pledge, a promise. And the Spirit of God is God's promise that protects us. And so you and I need to understand. Now, let me give you an example of this. I told you when we were in Revelation, we looked at Revelation 7. If you remember in Revelation 7, the Bible says the angel came down with a seal. And he sealed 144,000, 12,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel. What did that seal do to that 144,000? Here's what it says that they should not be touched by anyone on this earth. It was literally a dome of protection around them. It was literally, that seal was what protected them from the Antichrist, from the false prophet, from the heathen of this world. And this 144,000 would not be touched. Why? Because the seal of God was upon them. So here's the reality of it. This world cannot touch you. This this. Our enemy cannot touch you. Now, can I sin? Yes. Can I, can I 
walk out in the energy of my flesh? Yes. But I got news for you today. That affects my fellowship. It don't affect my relationship because I'm under the dome of His protection. I'm under the seal of His Holy Spirit. And nothing can touch you when you are sealed by Him. You say, well, preacher, I don't believe that. Well, listen to John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. As Jesus is telling His disciples, about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, parakletos, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you until you sin. Is that what it says? That he may abide with you for how long? Forever. You say, what do you mean? Jesus said, hey, I'm going to sin. I've got to depart. I've got to go back to my Father. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise. I'm going to sin. But when I sin, hey, I'm going to send the Spirit of God. I'm going to send the Comforter. And I want to tell you something. He's going to do for you what I could not do for you, walking among you as a man. He's going to do something for you. I can't do for you staying here as a man. He's going to come. He's going to come and live in you. And when He comes and lives in you, He's He's going to be in you forever. He's not getting out. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Notice that. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But watch the transition. But you know him. How do I know him? Hey, he lives in you. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Man, I want to tell you something. The Spirit of God is our divine protector. The Spirit of God is our divine protection. And listen, forever He'll live inside His children. I want you to look. Not only the proving of the seal and the protection of the seal, but the power of the seal. You see, the seal in Scripture not only speaks of authenticating us, proving us, and protecting us, but the seal of the Spirit is our authority as well. It's amazing you study Scripture out in the Old Testament. You find this word seal is used many times in the Old Testament. Let me give you some examples. How many of you remember the book of Esther? The king in the book of Esther was conned, if you will, into signing a decree that literally would promise the death and the elimination of all of Israel. What did he do when he signed that decree? He sealed it with his signet ring. What happened when he did that? Well, if you remember, they went and posted it all over what, God, what the king had said. And that's, that seal gave authority to that document that the king was going to pull forth and do exactly what he said he was going to do. The Bible says in in another place, if you remember, that King Darius took Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. And, And what did King Darius do? Well, the Bible says he took a stone and rolled it across the mouth of the den and sealed it. What does he mean? Oh, listen, he put his king's seal on it. And and when he sealed it, that no man could open that stone. No man could let Daniel out. He was going to be ravaged by those lions, so King Darius thought. And the authority of the king was behind the slaughter of Daniel. But aren't you glad today that God's authority was greater than a king's? 
And God shut the mouths of those lions. King Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah his signet ring that he could have the authority to get whatever supplies he needed when he was going to build the walls back in Jerusalem. And the king told Nehemiah, he said, listen, anything you need, anything you need, here's the authority, here's all the authority you need to get all your supplies. Let me give you another example. Jesus died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And the Bible says the Romans and all their authority sealed that tomb. So all the authority of Rome was behind. Nobody touched this tomb. Nobody even tried to touch this tomb. But see, what Rome didn't understand is there was a plan in place from the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would not only die, but he would raise again. And there was one greater in authority, and the one greater in authority broke the seal of the authority of Rome. And Jesus walked out. So what authority do we have? The same authority which God utilized. To break the seal of the tomb. You see, the Bible calls us kings and priests. And we operate and we live under what's called kingdom authority, as Adrian Rogers would say, or spiritual authority, as Paul would say. And you and I can walk in the authority, not of our own, but the authority of our king. And he is all authority. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is who? God. Now watch what it says. Who also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our heart. The same God that established us. The same God that established us in Christ. The same God that enabled us, empowered us through the anointing of the indwelling Spirit of God is the same God that sealed us with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. There's power in the seal of the Holy Spirit. I want you to look next, the possession of the seal. This idea of this word sealed speaks of possession as well. In other way, there's places in the Bible where a seal speaks of ownership. One of the places is the bondservant. The bondservant comes willingly to the master and says, I don't want to go free. I want to serve you forever. And at that moment, the Bible says he takes an awl and bores a hole in his ear and seals him. Is belonging to that master forever. See, here's the rub. See, we want a Savior. We want a Redeemer. But do you want a Lord and a Master? Because I got news for you. The day God saved you, if you're saved today, you by faith signed over all your rights to Him. That's the term of the salvation covenant. You say, well, preacher, where's that in the Bible? What? No, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and you're not your what? Own. You're bought with a price. 
You see, you signed over all rights to your life at that moment. So can I tell you today, I don't have a right to decide what I'm going to do with my time. I don't have a right to decide what I'm going to do with my treasure. I don't have a right to decide what I'm going to do with my talents. I don't have a right to determine what I'm going to do with anything in my life. I belong to someone else, and I'm his purchased possession. And he has sealed me. He has marked me out as one of his. You say, preacher, where do you find this? Well, what would, I, what if, what would you think if I told you that Jesus Christ was sealed by God? You say, well, where's that at? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's found in John chapter 6. It says, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him who, the Son of Man, hath God the Father sealed. What, what did God speak from heaven? Did he speak, this is the Savior in whom I'm well pleased? Or did he speak, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased? God marked the Lord Jesus out as man, as belonging to him, deity, one with God. And the moment God saved you, here's what happened. He placed you in Christ. And because Christ is pleasing to the Father, you're pleasing to the Father. Because Christ is the Father's, you're the Father's, and you belong to him. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to your spouse. You don't belong to your family. You don't belong to your job. You belong to him. He marked you as his. I found this quote. Brother Steve, it blessed my heart. F.E. Marsh, old-time writer back in the 1800s, he said this about John 6, 27. He said, he being Christ was sealed because of what he was in himself. We are sealed because of what we are. In him. Let me say that one more time. Christ was sealed because of what he is in himself. We are sealed because of what we are in him. He claims us. He possesses us. He approves us in Christ. Listen, we are secure as his possession. And here's what happens. If I could lose my salvation, then here's what it's saying. That I can steal from God what belongs to God. I want you to look lastly at the pledge of the seal. Notice verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Now what does this word earnest mean? It's a word that speaks of a pledge or a promise, or as I said, a promise that is sealed by money. 2 Corinthians 5 5 says, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. So, what is this earnest of our inheritance? Well, it's the pledge of loyalty. Can I tell you the minute God sealed you with his Holy Spirit, he pledged his loyalty to you. You say, well, are you saying that God pledged his loyalty? Oh, yes. Listen to this verse. 
He will never leave me nor forsake me. Now, let me ask you a question. When God saved me, how did I know and how could I know I'm in his presence? Because he's in me. So here's what God said. God said, I'm going to make a pledge to you and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit as a down payment on this pledge. I will never, ever, ever. That's how it reads in the Greek, by the way. It's an absolute negative. I will never, ever, ever leave you. Now, let me ask you a question. If I could lose my salvation, can I tell you what I just did? I called God a liar. Because God said he'll never leave me. And so here is the truth of, of this that lays out before us. It's a pledge of loyalty. The Spirit of God is the down payment. The Spirit of God is the earnest money. The Spirit of God is the promise. One Bible scholar put it this way. He, being the Spirit of God, is not only the proof of our position in Christ, He's also the pledge of our possessions in Christ. He is not only confirms our faith, He also confirms our future. He not only guarantees our eternal security, He also guarantees our eternal satisfaction. He's the pledge, the promise of God, the promise of loyalty. Aren't you glad? that he's loyal to us? Aren't you glad he's always faithful to us? Now watch it. What is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession? Now what is that speaking of? Well, remember we talked uh, last week about this inheritance that we have in Christ. Christ is our inheritance. And if you remember... I said there's a present aspect to the inheritance. We can walk in it now, but there's a future aspect to our inheritance. It's going to be perfected one day. So what is this pledge of the Holy Spirit, this earnest of the Holy Spirit? It absolutely secures in us a hope, a hope that cannot be taken away, a hope that cannot be undone. And you say, what is that hope? That God will finish what He started. Speaking of the redemption of your body. It's speaking of the day when God will resurrect the dead bodies of the saints and they will take on a glorified state and they will be perfected in Christ Jesus. You say, how can I know without a shadow of a doubt that's going to happen? I want to tell you how you know because the promise that this is going to happen is not a promise a preacher made you, not a promise your daddy made you, not a promise some denomination made you. It's a promise that God sealed for you. It's a pledge of loyalty. I want to give you a second thing. It's a pledge of love. I found this, and boy, I want to tell you, I about tore my office up. In the Greek culture of that day, and even still today from what I can study, this term earnest was used in a whole different dimension in the Greek culture. And you say, what dimension was it? We use this term in America, engagement ring. In the Greek culture, it's called an earnest promise. Think about it. When God saved you, the Bible says that he became your bridegroom 
and you're the bride. The Bible says in a spiritual realm, you've been betrothed to Christ. So in other words, as you walk up on this earth, the Bible says he's gone to prepare a place for you. In other words, as the bridegroom, he's left us in body and he's left us to go prepare a place for us but the bible says he's going to come back again he's going to return for his bride and he said if i go i promise you i'll be back for you and here's the reality the life we live as a christian is the life of betrothal the life of our engagement period but can i tell you the ring of the holy spirit has promised us that he'll come through and he'll stand at the altar before god married to us and when we ascend into the heavens his bride will be pure and spotless and without blame and he'll present us before his father in heaven and he'll say oh father here's my bride they're with me it's a pledge of love can you imagine that God would love you and love me Knowing us and knowing everything about us. I want to put that in proper perspective. When my wife married me, I wonder if she would have knew everything about me. I mean, you learn somebody while you're dating them. But how many of you agree when you get married, you find out you didn't know them? I mean, you learn a lot about them. But you really find out when you're with them 24-7, hey, I didn't know that about them. I wonder if my wife would have still married me if, if somehow in a supernatural realm she could see every minute detail of my life. But can I tell you, God did. And he still wed you to his son. Now watch the last phrase here. Unto the praise of His glory. I remember the day that me and my wife were married. I remember the day that I was standing down there at the bottom of the steps. And I looked back, waiting to see my bride adorned for the first time. When she came in that door, I want to tell you something. I could strut like a peacock. I wanted to stand up and say, everybody look at her, she's mine. She's mine. And I'll never forget as we were standing there on that platform, face to face with our hands like this. All of a sudden, the magnitude of the privilege that I had to marry this woman hit me. And I began to squall. I cried like a baby. Because from a fleshly sense, I was sitting there looking in my glory. From a spiritual realm, your bridegroom's going to stand you up as a bride, 
adorned in white raiment. The righteousness of Christ. And the Father is going to look. And He's going to say, Not I, but Christ in me. There's my glory. There's my glory. There's my glory. So here's the invitation. If you have not the Spirit of God, you're none of His. Have you been sealed by His indwelling presence? Because He set the terms through the gospel. You accepted those terms by faith and repentance. And He sealed you with His indwelling presence. Do you know one day God's going to stand you with His Son in the glory of Christ will be seen in the perfect, spotless bride, the church. Are you going to be there? If you're saved, I want you to understand something. I believe in what saved always saved. I do. But I want to change the way I, I always change how I refer to it. Once truly saved, always saved. Because this is not about something we say that's true in our life. It's about something that the Spirit of God through His sealing has proven in our life to be real. So do you know you're sealed? And if you're saved and you know you're sealed, i got some good news for you. It is finished. Just hang on. Hang on. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you for your word, for your truth, for your faithfulness, for your seal, for your Holy Spirit, for your promise. And Father, I praise you for that blessed hope. An absolute settled confidence that you're going to finish what you started. Thank you that I'm not my own. I belong to you. Father, I pray this has been a help to somebody tonight. And Father, if there's anybody that's listening that they'll just have to really be honest. Your spirit's not bearing witness with their spirit that they're a child of yours. I pray right now where they are. They would get up from their seat, their couch, their recliner, their dining room chair, and they'd find a bended knee. And right here, they would find that today is the day of salvation for them. 
I thank you today that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.